Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, thanks again for joining us here at Faith in Your Recovery. We're glad you're alongside. We know we've got something special for you here today. We're going to tap into a genre that we haven't touched here at Faith in Your Recovery. As you know, we like to proclaim that we're about all things recovery. This is our first stroll into that music arena of Christian hip-hop. Uh, holy hip-hop, Christian rap. Hey, you put a label on it, we're just going to share it, okay? We're not going to worry about that label. We're going to worry about telling our story, bringing glory to God, and hopefully touching, changing, and saving your lives. And we want to be a part of helping you in the battle, so don't turn your back on it. Stay at it. Keep moving forward. We'll be here with you. We'll be here for you in all ways. Our guest today, Josh Hutchison, a.k.a. Clean Slate. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me, Randy. It's it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Hey, it's great to have you. Josh, where are you coming from? Where do you live? Uh, I am in Gulfport, Mississippi. I am born and raised in the south here. We're right here on the Gulf of Mexico. It's far south Ah. as you can all right. How's your weather down there? Uh, sunny and 60. <laughs> All right. Well, we're sunny and real near 50, and we hope to hit the 60s here tomorrow in east central Indiana. So Amen. we're not real far behind you. We're hoping for spring around the corner, but we know we got some more snowflakes coming here. As it Amen. gets near our state basketball, high school basketball tournament, We always expect snow because we always get snow. But you know what? I've survived it now 73 years. I think I can do it again, all right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So tell us, let's go back to to those those early years. And tell us what life was like as a child for you, okay? Uh, We're going to work through that. We'll talk about your addiction, some of your personal struggles, and then toward the end, we want to bring it up on a high and let them know what Jesus has done. Amen, amen. So, Randy, as I tell in my testimony to most folks, my first memories start off at about the age of six. Um, There's some some vivid memories from back then of... uh, of what was going on in my home. And unfortunately, uh, at, there was, Christ was not at the center of my home. God was not the foundation of my home. And my parents were really struggling themselves. And uh, there was a lot of verbal, mental, and physical abuse. And uh, there was no trust in the home that took place between my parents and me being the oldest of three brothers. Uh, I started to download that. And I really didn't know how to process that, process that as I was growing up. Um, Due to the uh, chaos in the home, uh, my parents kind of overlooked some things, and uh, and there was some uh, sexual abuse outside my home at an early age that uh, 
that really, I think, set the tone for me to just uh, block things out and start to numb things. And, uh, and then about age 10, my parents divorced and I didn't see my father for a few years. So there was some abandonment issues that, uh, that started to set in as well. And, uh, you know, right on the, the cusp of being a teenager, you know, those emotions and things. So you already, you know, that's enough in itself, but, uh, everything else that was going on, I just kind of bottled it up inside and, uh, and really, uh, didn't go a good way about processing and how I coped with it when I hit my teenage years. Who did you have at that time in your, in your life, Josh, that was a, a positive influence? Uh, did you have anyone? So, um, at age 13, I left my mother's home and went to go stay with my aunt, her oldest sister and my uncle. And I had two cousins that were right around my age. And, uh, that was the most stability I had at that time. Um, I was actually excelling in junior high school for the first time. And that I can remember, I was on the honor roll. Um, and to me, uh, even though it wasn't the perfect home, what, what I had lacked and desired, I felt like I had there. You had a, a, a mom and dad together. You had a family that was just seemed to be functioning well, and uh, and that's all I desired. So my aunt and uncle were really a, a, a positive impact in my life at the time. And my grandmother, who has now passed away, uh, she was always my biggest supporter coming up, and she knew what I had went to went through being her oldest grandson or oldest grandchild. So uh, she was always rallying and being a prayer warrior in my corner. I I wonder of the 120 plus episodes we've done, how many times I heard it was grandma's prayer. It was grandpa's heart. Uh, the power of the grandparents is incredible. And that should reflect on the role we have as grandparents. And we should be of that same nature. We should be that stabilizing force when you know, our grandchildren's parents, our child perhaps isn't or can't be. We need to step up and fill in when called upon. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Makes for a difficult time for sure. Uh, when did the drug issues and the violence and the gang life start for you, Josh? What did that look like? Um, actually, uh, my mother, like I said, I, I left and to live with my aunt for a couple of years. Uh, my mother was actually working her tail off at the time though, and, uh, wanted to build a home and, uh, she ended up building a home and, and for me and my younger brothers. And she came to get me when I was 15 years old for my aunts. And I, I was angry. I didn't want to go home because, you know, I, I was running from what previously happened. And it had never been talked about. So I just wasn't processing things. But, you know, a mother, she was proud of the fact that she built a home and, and you know, to provide for her children. So she brought me home. And within a few weeks, um, I was rejecting everything. And I, I realized that I had a hatred built up in my heart towards my mother at the time. So I, I ran to the streets and uh, was really dealing with, dealing with an identity issue. And it started with marijuana at age 15. And within a couple of months, um, I just thought I had it all together that I could just get high and escape it. And I could, I could be myself and I was living life. And, uh, it quickly led me down a dark path and I was abusing street drugs by the age before I was really 16 years old, cocaine, uh, ecstasy, LSD. It became a, 
everyday thing for me. And I was very rebellious to my mother. Um, I was working an evening job after I would get out of school each day. And I just got my license by like age 16 back then and had a work permit. So, uh, you know, I, I believe that because I had a job and because I was going to school, that was enough. And uh, what that allowed me to do, though, was feed my drug addiction at an early age with my paychecks. And I really developed uh, a strong addiction to anything that would make me not feel what I felt as a child. And uh, that led anything to that would numb you. That exactly is what right. you were after. Yeah. Exactly right. Anything that would numb me from the pain. Yes. Yes. So did that, is that what transferred on into the, uh, into the gang life and then the prison time? So, uh, yeah, I started getting arrested at an early age, uh, before I was even an adult. And then, uh, by the time I was 18 years old, I was really heavily involved in drugs and, and that scene, and I was really looking for uh, for a family, you know, a place to fit in. And I uh, started running with everybody in the streets. And then uh, due to my due to getting arrested, I caught uh, my first felony conviction at a young age in my early 20s. And uh, when I was sentenced to prison, I ended up uh, getting involved with a prison gang, which carried over into the streets. How long were you in prison at that time, Josh? The, the first time, uh, only about a year. Uh, but it became a revolving door for the 23 years of my addiction that ended up uh, uh, sex, uh, six separate felony convictions over over that time. Total period of time that you spent incarcerated, approximately. I would, I would say probably about between three and four years. Okay, okay. More than you wish. As you oh, more, back, more than I wish. I'm sure. No more than I wish on anybody. Yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, I noticed that your your listing of personal struggles talked about overdoses as well as schizophrenia, suicidal, and homicidal tendencies. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, Randy. So uh, as I said, you know, when I when I went to prison the first time I was battling a opiate addiction at that time. And it continued over 10 years, which led to me continual arrest and things like that. And I was trying to kick the, uh, the opiate addiction habit over the years. And I cross addicted to, uh, to methamphetamine. And, uh, over the years I was diagnosed with so many different things with, uh, bipolar one and two ADHD, anxiety, depression, PTSD, borderline personality disorder, you name it. And continually seeking for uh, for a label or at least a, um, a, a stamp on what was wrong with me, you know, and, and, and my mental health kept deteriorating over the years. And uh, like I said, I, I was hung up in addiction and then I began abusing the prescription medications as well. So just bouncing back and forth over the years, cross addicting, I fell deep into a heavy meth addiction in the last five or six years of the 23 years of being an addict. Uh, which led to intravenous use uh, and many different forms of, of using. And uh, in the last 17 months of my addiction, uh, I went back out on a relapse that lasted 17 months. I got a hold of some really bad drugs that night and overdosed and ended up in ICU. And when I woke up, I was, uh, I was seeing things and hearing things, um, and I was freaking out and uh, started to hear the voices. My mental health had completely deteriorated. And um, that was 17 months of hell. Um, during that time, I was uh, 
hospitalized over 40 times from overdoses and, uh, you know, uh, fentanyl being inside of meth, things like that that are out there now. And uh, with the schizophrenia and the things going on, I ended up uh, being hospitalized in over 10 mental institutions during that time with seven to 14 day stays. Uh, wow. Uh, forgive me if this sounds harsh, but dude, you should probably be dead instead of on this program. It's only by the grace of God that I'm here today. Uh, you know, one of my, one of my lows was, uh, six months before I had a radical encounter with the Lord. Uh, I ended up ingesting a massive amount of drugs one day, uh, cause I didn't want to go to jail. <laughs> I had put myself in a rough situation and, uh, it was either jail or get rid of it. And I ended up overdosing by ingesting it and uh, ended up jumping off a bridge that connects from the North Shore to the South Shore in South Louisiana, which is right here next to Mississippi. And uh, I had to be rescued by boat at that time. And, uh, you know, it took me months to even process that, you know, the PTSD and things from it. But uh, that was also one of the breaking moments when I was institutionalized one day and uh, the nurse was doing an intake and he asked me some questions and, and that 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 moment from life surfaced back up that I had pressed down months prior. And I broke down at that moment and, uh, and just really just started to pour out what was going on and, uh, and had to face that moment. And, but it was also, uh, the breakthrough that started this new life for me. Cause I called, old, on, the, called on the Lord at that time. So how old were you at that time, Josh? I, uh, I was 36, almost 37 okay. at that time. Okay. I don't know if you can answer this, but what was the scariest to you, the homicidal or suicidal ideations? You know, unfortunately, to to be truthful, I have to say the suicidal. um, It was going back and forth. It was mostly suicidal for quite some time, you know, hearing the voices, um, the, the PTSD, just the trauma, all the things being thrown in my face, losing my son for six years those things started to just spin in my head on a daily. And, um, I was fighting the suicidal battles for about, about two years straight. Um, and towards the very end of my addiction is when the homicidal thoughts started kicking in. And I, and I felt at that point, listening to the lies of what I was hearing in my head, that if I would just go out and inflict that pain on someone else, that it would give me relief from what I was dealing with. And I knew then that I had reached a point you know, I was, I was, thank God that I was able to grasp reality at times and, and, and fight that, you know, some lose that battle, but I, I was really facing it then. And when, when, when I was able to process and realize what I was fighting, I just started calling on the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was hitting my knees every single day, fighting the battle of the urges of killing myself, killing someone or not trying to do these things. What, what made you think at that point in the darkness in the personal struggles, the personal experiences, was crying out to Christ total desperation, or was there any thinking to it? Is it if it's if it can work, it's the only thing that's going to. What do you think your thoughts were at that time? You know, Randy, uh, I tell people it was never a question of if I believe God was real or not. I just didn't have an understanding of Him, and I was using okay. Him as a light about my life, but my grandmother had told me at a younger age, tried to instill it in me about the Lord. And, uh, and, and throughout the years, people had, you know, Hey, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. But I was rejecting it because I didn't understand 
the joy that people had. I didn't understand how they could be so happy about life. And I just really, I didn't have an understanding of who Jesus Christ was. Yeah. But at that point it was desperation. I hit my knees and I just began to uh, just pour it out at, at the, at the base of God's feet that, uh, you know, the addiction, the, the, the hopelessness that I, I tried to save myself and I, and I can't God. And I don't know much about you, Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm asking this all in your name. If you're who you say you are, I'm asking you to come in and be my savior. Please save me if you're real. And uh, that that really that day was about it was about six months before I got sober. But I can look back on that now and see that when I got up that day, I just had a I had a sense of fight in me and a, a weight lifted off of me some that day. And I could see the steps of God just just coming in and, and just preparing the way. It was, yeah. Here's what I'm hearing is innocence and honesty. Yeah. Uh, you know, out of the innocence of what you did know and did not know about God, you went to him with the honesty of your heart. I don't know if you're going to do this, but if it's going to happen, you're going to have to do it. Uh, choosing your own words in other ways, but uh, that kind of an attitude and spirit. Yeah. And uh, it says he'll honor those who diligently seek him. And obviously that's what he's done. So let's kind of fade away from the addiction, though that's all a part of this story. That's what makes it so powerful. Come back to it in any way. But start leading us toward that that spiritual mountaintop. And I didn't say you exist on the mountaintop, but you've been there. You've seen him. You've yeah. dealt with him. Tell us about that. How yes. the how he guided your steps, what those steps looked like. So, you know, uh my entire life, what I really if I could if what I really wanted to show people and express to people and tell people is what I had bottled up on the inside. And, uh, and I, I felt like I couldn't tell the world that I just wanted to be loved. And that I actually wanted to express love to people. You know, the world gives us this perception of, uh, of who man is supposed to be. And, you know, he's got to be the rough, tough guy. So that all turned into pain and to anger throughout my life. And it was around July 20th of 2020 that I was sitting in my uncle's house in a spare bedroom. And, uh, I was getting high and I didn't want to be high anymore. And I was just crying and, and just, uh, just talking. And I didn't even realize, you know, uh, that God was listening <laughs> at the time. I was just talking to myself and, uh, and God came in and took over the conversation and told me, Joshua, he says, I'm going to give you uh, the desires of your heart. He says, I know you have a, a passion for music and uh, you think it's unattainable. And I know that you want to help others, but I'm here to help you. And, and I'm here to tell you that I'm going to use you in a way for with music, with Christian hip hop and different things to reach the lost. And you're going to be able to go tell your testimony and you're going to go out and minister the word of God and so many other things that I'm going to set forth for a plan for you uh, to open up a nonprofit one day. Just all these things that have been spinning in my head for a while while I was fighting the battle of life and death and trying to get to where I could just just reached this goal that I felt that was unobtainable, but I just kept processing it for so long in my head. I knew something was missing. So uh, I, I knew that it was God speaking to me. It just felt so comforting at that moment. And I didn't know how it was going to happen. But at 3.30 in the morning that night, a complete stranger 
that I'm talking to on social media ends up telling me that she had been sober for 10 years and had a recovery discipleship and that she uh, wanted to help me. And uh, the next day I met these, met her and her team and I was taken in off the streets for six months and through their discipleship. And uh, that really started the, the first step of me coming to uh, where I am today. I, I know how God works, though I don't know how he works in every situation. You right. understand what I mean by that. Yes. I'm intrigued. I want to go back to something you said there, not to show any doubt in what you're saying, but to make sure I'm clear on it. He specifically told you it would be hip-hop music. Is that correct? Uh, well, not just hip-hop. I had he, God knew the, that I like different styles of music, but he said that he was going to use me for it. Um, it was uh, I came from like the uh, the EDM scene and the hip-hop scene and all these things, and I would sit there and have these uh, these these daydreams or visions of of these uh, music events of reaching people. Cause I knew there was power in music and it was different styles, but I knew that I, I liked freestyling and rapping and things like that. And he, and he told me he was going to give me that gift. So, uh, yeah, it, it was. <laughs> Were you a guitar player prior to that? Do you have a music background prior to those moments? So my grandfathers on both sides of my family were musicians. One was a country musician, played a guitar. The other was had five brothers and was in a, uh, a brass band, a jazz band. Um, I never picked up any instruments. I got into the rave scene, so I DJed some. But I always uh, was freestyling over other songs throughout my life. I was only able to ever remember word for word one song ever because I couldn't make it 30 seconds into somebody's song without me changing the lyrics and just kind of just freestyling my way through life. But uh, I always thought that music was unobtainable, that what I saw in music videos and people performing and all, I thought that you just had to have, you know, millions of dollars or record labels and all these things to do this. It just seemed out of the realm of reach for me. So how old were you at that time once you started into the music scene? So I was about a year sober uh, through my second six-month discipleship. I was right at the end of that. And uh, I actually wrote a song in the parking lot at the discipleship sitting in my truck, which uh, turned out to be a song that uh, recording artist Nikki Gracious featured on, uh, who was really coming onto the scene at the time. And it turned out to be the number three debut song on his album and literally just exploded all over the country uh, right out the gate. So that's what kind of brought your name to the surface at that time? Yes, sir. And that's really also what set any uh, any doubts or fears that I still had aside. Because I was like, you know, I see you're using me, God, but I don't, is this really happening? And then uh, he just kind of said, look, and just confirmed it. And I, at that point, I just leaped out in faith, believing that uh, everything that he said was going to happen. That had to be a little overwhelming, even if you trust and believe with all your heart to have been where you were, to been, to have been in that darkness, swallowing those pills to a point like this where he's ready to pour his blessings on you. Yes, it, it was a wave of emotions. And, you know, there was still 
uh, a little bit of doubt at times, you know, because I, I remember telling my mother two weeks after I uh, sober got sober and it was taken in this home, I called her and I said, listen, I'm going to be a rapper. I'm going to uh, open up a recovery center. I'm going to be a preacher one day. We're going to have a church. We're going to have all these things. I'm going to help the lost and broken. And she's like, how are you going to do any of this? You don't have any degrees. You don't have anything. And, this. and I said, God said, we're going to do it. But there was still even times that, you know, it was like, whoa. But that really, uh, I remember picking up the phone and calling her and saying, God's doing it. God's doing it. And uh, I've just, just been chasing him more and more ever since because, you know, I, I didn't, I never picked up the Bible in my life before I had the encounter with God. So as I read the Bible more and more every day, I just continue to see uh, his word is so true. He doesn't break promises, you know, and he started something. Amen. He's not going to stop. Yeah. He's he's going to finish what he started. So He who began a good work in you <laughs> will be faithful to complete it. It's not over yet either, I'm sure. Uh, so early on in your career in this quote, if you pardon me, this new life, who, and, and I know what scripture says about idols, but we still have role models. We still have those we look up to. And I believe that's, that's a part of the godly design to put somebody before us that's a positive influence. Who yes. were those individuals in the music field or in your career? And this doesn't mean others didn't matter, didn't count. But I'm sure there were one or two who really touched your heart in a special way. Yes, sir. So, uh, like I mentioned, the folks that brought me in uh, off the streets and gave me the, the first chance, they showed me three artists in the very beginning and uh, three very different artists, but very impactful artists in my life. I was shown uh, Kalichi, who's a big advocate for, you know, addiction recovery, uh, an ASAP preach song, and then Brian Trejo. And uh, those three songs impacted me, and I, I just I, I felt so much from it. And I started listening to them, which opened up, you know, to so many other people that I found in this type of music. But um, I really saw something in Brother Brian Trejo that uh, that I felt like God was doing something similar with me, and that was uh, that was you know the outreaches, the using this platform really to to build discipleships to. Uh, to, to have churches, all these things that I just started looking at what he was doing and seeing God working through him. And I said, I want to be something like that. That's what I believe. That's what God's calling me to do. So uh, I've really looked up to what the Lord's doing in him. And it's been very helpful in my walk. I believe personally in wild factors. If I go to a hotel overnight, I'm looking for the wild factor. Is it the cleanliness of the room? Is it the the meal that morning, whatever the case may be, I believe each one of us should have a wow factor that sets us aside. It doesn't set us above. It doesn't make anybody any less. What is the wow factor, the unique selling point of your music as Clean Slate? You know, uh, I believe that my music really uh, reaches the lost and broken, but also because of where I came from, from the gritty, grimy trenches, from those dark places, uh, the music is all Holy Spirit led and, and it's and it's ministering the power of God, but it reaches those worldly folks as well. Like I get a lot of feedback 
they said, man, your music is listening to by worldly people because of the way it comes off. But when they're listening, they're getting ministered to. And I just, I like to look at my music as a bridge over troubled water for those to be able <laughs> to cross over. And then we're on the other side with open arms like Jesus and saying, hey, man, let me, let me talk to you. Let me, let me, let me tell you that I've been there. Um, so, so to me, typically when you, when somebody would say, man, it's gritty and something's gritty or grimy, you'd be like, well, that's not a compliment. But when we're talking about the rap music, it is. And I've seen it, Randy, reaching a dynamic, dynamic, not just addict, but it's reaching uh, drug dealers uh, because, you know, I live both sides of it. So usually when you hear a trap uh, beat, you know, uh, the, the secular rap industry, they're talking about promoting the drugs and the violence and the guns and the gangs. And they're hearing something with just as much power and grittiness, but it's telling you the truth about those things and bringing the gospel on it. We've got a, uh, a gentleman that's going to be on our program here in a few weeks. I don't know if he's familiar to you. Be radical Bryant Kelly, who is a former dealer. Uh, he will be the first avowed dealer that we've had on the program. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to speak with him, see what that side of the battle was like. So, yeah, I like you mentioning that and giving me that in there. You know, Randy, it's it's it's, it's awesome you mentioned him. So, uh, Be Radical and I know each other. Uh, he's actually featuring on a song that we're going to release uh, on Valentine's Day, <laughs> uh, we set it for February 14th, and I wasn't even thinking Valentine's Day, but it's a song that we're bringing the two together. So the song is ministering to the drug addict, to the drug dealer throughout the through the hook on the song, and then I'm telling a story of being an addict and a dealer and what it did to me, and then he comes in on the second half of the song and really tells you his view from where he came from and then how he became a drug dealer and, the, and we're bringing the two together to, to just show people. So it's interesting you brought him up. He's an amazing brother, uh, a highly anointed man of God. And it's such a blessing to be working with him because that's just another tool. Bringing us together gives us more tools to go out there and minister to the drug dealer, to the drug addict, to the homeless person, you name it, because we, we, we've operated in all fields of it. Go ahead and give us the name of that song, if you will. Yes. Yeah, so that song is going to be called Rolling Loud. And the idea came from that when my producer customized the beat for us. Uh, he named the beat Rolling Loud. And I wrote the hook four months prior to meeting Be Radical. I, I could not write a verse to it at all at the time. And then when I met Be Radical, he had a verse that was already written for the song. It just went perfect. I come home, wrote my verse, and, and we kept the name Rolling Loud because what him and I do is we go rolling loud through those places, through the trenches, through the hoods, through the places that people are afraid to go. And we proclaim the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, loudly, because we want to just let people know they can be set free from whatever bondage it is. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I'm glad I brought that name up and gave us <laughs> a good place to go to there. Okay. Amen. Yeah. I get the impression, I was just telling Eric, our sound man, a little bit ago, I get the impression there's a special camaraderie with the holy hip-hoppers, uh, those who do Christian rap, whatever you want to label yourself. I, I've talked to several different ones now. I, I don't have deep relationships, but... Each time I talk to one, 
They give me the name of somebody else like, I'm not going to hold this for me. I want to share this with somebody else. That's how I got B. Radical's name. He actually came from a from a fellow who has a ministry. He didn't sing. He didn't rap. It's called One Cut at a Time, where he shows up and gives free haircuts, uh, which is cool to me. I don't have much of a need for one, okay? But I can, re- yeah, thank you. Well, no, <laughs> You just hit the nail on the head talking about camaraderie because what you did was you just named another one of my brothers. That's Levi, one cut at a time. Uh, Levi Bullrath. That's right. Levi, Be Radical, Redeem, Joe Nestor, myself, my wife, Mallory B., uh, Jay Liz, so many different artists around the country. Uh, we are like a, we're, it's not just music. We, uh, we network together on the daily. We do life together. Our wives do life together. We, uh, we have multiple Zoom meetings for Bible studies throughout the week, every week. Uh, we stay connected because uh, we realize that we're fighting a battle, and, uh, and we're now fighting it from the side of good, and we're fighting from victory in Christ. And we, and, we, and we realize that in unity and in numbers, we can go out and be stronger. And we take this serious. It's not just music, but there is some camaraderie. I, for for me, why would I not want to see my fellow brother or sister succeed after overcoming addiction, homelessness, drug dealing, gangs, prison, and violence? Why would I not want to extend out to them what God is flowing through me to help them come up to the fullness of who he wants to use them to be? You would so. think that was the case, but it's not always. Too many not times always. we're... Too many times we're competing against instead of competing with. Uh, I'll compete with you all day as we can both win. But when I start competing against you, we've just lost half the battle before it ever started. So uh, I'd love to hear this connection and how that works out. what do you see as the future for Christian hip-hop? It's come a long way in the last few years here. It was, a, am going to say, a non-existent uh, music style not too awfully long ago, but it's burst on the scene, and there are events going on every place. And, uh, yeah, what do you think? You know, it's, uh, I didn't really know that it existed you know, three and a half, four years ago. Um, I think back of like, uh, you know, Grits with the uh, the famous Christian hip hop song, you know, years back, things like that. But really uh, in its own style and having its own genre now, it's really coming in strong. And I think the reason you're seeing so many uh, events is because people are starting to realize that uh, that there's something to it. There, there, there's, there's power and there's strength in it. And it's reaching a dynamic of people that your Sunday pastor behind the pulpit is never going to be able to reach. Amen. And and honestly, Randy, it sparked up revival. People want to talk about, they want to see revival or they want to plan a revival all the time. Well, God's been planning one for quite some time and he's, and he's pouring it out all over this country right now. And it's a, it's a force to be reckoned with when you can have thousands of people together celebrating recovery from addiction and life bondages and then inviting those to these events who come in and end up coming to getting to know the Lord, giving their life to, to Jesus Christ, stepping into a program that's been sponsored to them out of an event. You know, this is so much more than just a music event or a concert or a festival. Um, it's really 
it's really uh, it, this blueprint God has put together to reach the lost. And the music is just one of the tools. So I'm, I'm going to go back to that camaraderie idea, but I'm going to add a word to that. I think it's the, the unity that's involved. We're yes. there with one thing in mind, one purpose, and that's to touch, change, and save lives. Save them spiritually, save them physically, yes. save them from misery. Uh, and if we can touch them, bring them back a little change, God's got a good shot at that. And uh, <laughs> I, I just love the idea of it all working together and and we see that happen. We're having more events around here all the time. I just became a part of a major group the other day that's going to be made up of faith leaders throughout the state of Indiana, and we're going to be doing some events. I, I'd love to see it. I am a retired pastor of 35 years. I get that praying for revival thing. And sometimes I think we've got to get off our knees. I believe in prayer with all my heart, but the revival is in us if we'll allow it to break out. Uh, we've got to be about the business, stop all the asking and get to action. And uh, through forgiveness to go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. No. There was a little, I said, without works is what, you know, I mean, come on now, yeah. we got to get out there and, and, and act out on that faith. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen here. Wow, this has gone quick. Uh, it's been an amazing time with you. I want to give you a chance to, is there anything else you want to say before we get ready to close this down? I'll have one final question for you, but maybe there's something on your lips you need to share. Please do that. Thank you, Randy. Yeah, I would just like to, to mention that, uh, you know, one of the things God uh, showed me those those years back in the vision was that we were going to have a nonprofit organization uh, and have homes for men, women, and families. And uh, we launched November 1st of 2023, Narrow Path Ministries here in South Mississippi. That's and brand next, new. Yes, sir. Brand new. And next Friday, we'll be opening our first men's home. Uh, we're so excited about that. Just the first, uh, the first step of what God's doing with this ministry. And, uh, and one of the things that we did was uh, God said he wanted to launch events here, revive, bring it here, bring revival here, Josh. You're going all around the country. Now it's time to bring it home and start this ministry. So uh, March 16th, we're going to have our first ever annual Crawfish in Christ Festival over in Brookhaven, Mississippi. It's an all-you-can-eat crawfish festival with uh, different <laughs> artists, Christian rock, uh, worship, hip-hop, you name it. And then April 27th, right here where I live in Gulfport on the beach, we're going to have the first annual outreach at the beach event. Uh, and there'll be about 25 to 30 resource vendors around the country from different discipleships and rehabs and organizations. It's a 10 hour festival, completely free to the community. And uh, we're just, we're just praying that uh, this just burst out a rippling effect over the city and the surrounding areas. Uh, we have a huge homelessness problem here uh, with, you know, the casino industry, drugs industry, things like that right here. And there's a port here where I live at the, at the ocean here. So that's where this park is. And that has just led to a mass homelessness problem. And we've been reaching these people for months out here, connecting with them with supplies and clothes and food. And the whole homeless community is fired up about this outreach at the beach. So we can't wait. Awesome. We're just in hopes that if just one comes and surrenders, 
it was all worth it. So yes, yes, so, yes. And you can check us out at narrowpathms.com. Uh, all right. So final question here. The title of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What does that mean to you? Faith in your recovery. Well, I would say that all my faith relies and it, it lays with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and uh, I I trust Him, and I have faith in my Lord and Savior, and uh, that He that He has freed me from these things, and He will keep me free from it, and that we can break gener- generational curses and let others know that recovery is possible. So, uh, man, uh, the word faith is just it's everything in my life today, Randy. Um, I have faith in my own recovery because I have a solid foundation and I have faith that others can and will recover if we just get them out there. Amen. Amen. Thank you for getting (laughs) out there. Thank you for what you do. I know it seems glamorous, your kind of work, but I know it's got to be wearing and tearing. And when your heart's in it, yeah, it's a passion but it's also a tremendous hurt when you see those who are lost and they're white knuckling it and they're ready to move forward for Christ, but they're just something holding them back. And you're you know, working against those strongholds. You know, yeah. you said it right there. Uh, and that's where we come in. When you say something's holding them back, what I've noticed with the community out here, the broken and the lost, when we go out, nobody's denying that Jesus is the Savior. They just don't know how to make him Lord over their life. And that's where we come in and say, hey, let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you how he does it. And if we can bring who Jesus is and tell people they can get educated, they develop that relationship, and then they learn how to make him Lord over their life as well so they can be free from this bondage. Keep preaching it. Keep preaching it. Sharing it. Singing it. However you can get it out there, God bless you and your your friends and all of those who are involved with this and those who are traveling those miles, sharing the smiles and their hearts and doing their part. Uh, God bless. Thank you for being with us today. It's been a treat. Our next guest is somebody I think you know by the name of Mallory Hutchison, a.k.a. Mallory B. So, uh, folks, next week's episode will be Josh's wife. Make sure you get both episodes. Thank you. God bless. Stay in the battle. Amen. Thank you, Randy. God bless you. We uh, greatly appreciate the opportunity. Amen. Amen.